0: Brothers and sisters, I call your attention now to this reading of God's Holy Word. As we read this portion of Paul's letter to the Ephesians, let us remember that it's our great privilege to be the living temple of the presence of God. We are the temple of God's Holy Spirit. And because of it, it's a great privilege to be filled with the power and the influence of the Spirit of God. This is necessary for our being conformed to the likeness of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Hear now the word of the Lord. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil, to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Almighty God, we thank you that this is your most holy word to us through the Apostle Paul. We have been seeing as we have worked our way through this letter that we are the very dwelling place of your Holy Spirit. And Paul reminds us in this exhortation that we are to be filled with the Spirit in an ongoing way. That's our heart's longing here this morning. That we might know you, and that we might be filled with your spirit, your influence, your presence, and power. We want to be like Christ, and it's in His name that we pray. Amen. For the Jew in Paul's day, the Temple Mount it had an ocean of nostalgia attached to it—an ocean of nostalgia. The Jew felt such a sense of privilege before the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. I mean, when the Jew stood before the Temple, he stood before the place where the very presence of God dwelled. Now, when the Jew could understand anything at all, he or she would have been told about how it was that Moses had met with the Lord over the mercy seat of the Ark of the Covenant, and how when the tabernacle was dedicated, God came down in this great ball of fire, the Shekinah glory to meet and to speak with his people. And then the establishment of the temple in Jerusalem had represented another milestone in the life of Israel during the reign of King Solomon. Uh, Solomon expended a great deal of time and effort and money to construct one of the most magnificent edifices in the ancient world, and upon the dedication of the temple, the presence of God descended, and it filled the temple so with smoke that the priests could not enter in and perform their duties. But here's Paul's point to us in this letter. We have something far, far better than that. Because Christ has come and because Christ has accomplished salvation for us, we are now the dwelling place of God's Spirit and presence. It's good for us to remember that here this morning as we gather in the name of Jesus. The presence of God dwells here. In us and among us. Back in chapter 2, Paul said that this church in union with Christ is a holy temple in which God's presence dwells. He says, in Christ you are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. And so the great Shekinah has come not to meet with us over the mercy seat in the Ark of the Covenant, not uh, to dwell in this magnificent building, but now to live and to rule in our hearts, to fill us with the presence of God and His influence. And I ask you, doesn't that fill you with a sense of privilege here this morning? We have gathered as the living temple in which the Spirit of God dwells. Now let's remember the path that Paul has brought us on to this point. In in chapter 1, he said that we have been sealed with the Holy Spirit. We have been sealed. And we saw in that passage how it is that the Spirit of God now dwells in us as a guarantee, as a down payment, that we will inherit glory. Then in chapter 4, Paul said that We must not grieve the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a person. And if we live indifferently toward our sin, we grieve and we wound this divine person dwelling within us. And now Paul says we must be filled with the Holy Spirit. We have a responsibility to maintain the fullness of God's Spirit's influence in our lives. There is no greater secret to being imitators of God and walking as children of light than this whole matter of being filled with the Holy Spirit. So let's consider now this privilege and this responsibility that we have as the living temple of God. First, the fullness of the Spirit. Listen again to Paul's exhortation to us. He says, do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, if you read Paul's letters, you know at times that his words are not always easy to understand. The Apostle Peter frankly admits that. In his second epistle, he says, there are things in Paul's letters that are hard to understand. And this exhortation in verse 18 is just a case in point in a small way. A literal translation of Paul's Greek at this point would be, be being filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, that's kind of challenging for us to to get our arms around. And without getting too deep at all into the words of or into the matters of Greek grammar, let's just state the obvious here. One thing is, we notice that this verb is in the present tense. This is to be an ongoing reality to us and we also see that the mood of this verb is the imperative mood this is a command that we're supposed to keep but you see it's the voice working with the command that make this a bit challenging because the mood of this verb is in the passive voice and you see that in the translation i mean we are commanded to be filled And yet we cannot fill ourselves. We're commanded to be filled, but we have to be filled by another. We're commanded to be filled, but we must be filled by the Lord. Do you see the challenge? One thing interesting about what Paul is saying here is that his manner of speaking shows us that salvation is a gift of God from first to last. It is the gift of God. I mean, it's the opposite of anything like merit. I mean, as the earth drinks the rain, as the seas receive the streams, so we too, giving nothing to God but our sin, must simply receive and freely partake of the grace of salvation. You know, the saints of God are not wells. We are not wells. We are not springs. We are not fountains. We are cisterns. We are collection places for the living water of God's Holy Spirit. We are empty vessels in which God must pour the fullness of His Spirit. Now back in chapter 1, Paul said that the Father not only raised Jesus from the dead but also withdrew Him up into His presence and seated Him there in heaven over every authority and power and dominion. He put all things under Christ's feet. He gave Him His head over all things to the church. But Paul also said that we, the church, are the fullness of Christ. We are the fullness of Christ, he said. Who fills all in all? We are Christ's body in fullness. He is the trunk. We are the branches united to Him so that His life and spirit and influence and fullness fills us. But how are we to maintain this fullness? We must be filled by God's Word. You know, I think it's tempting when we read passages like this, when we're talking about the fullness of the Spirit, to fall back on our own experiences, maybe to turn to some of those wonderful stories of personal revival in particular individuals. I know that as a young person, I read R.A. Torrey, and I read A.W. Tozer, and I read Andrew Murray. And I think most helpful to me was Paul Stott's Baptism in Fullness, and... J.I.A. Packer's keep in step with the Holy Spirit. But, but here's the good news for us. Paul's teaching here in Ephesians is very much like his teaching in Colossians chapter 3, verses 16-17. through 17. We know the letters to the Ephesians and Colossians complement each other. They were written about the same time. They were delivered by the same person, Tychicus. And the message in Paul's letter to the Ephesians and Paul's letter to the Colossians... They complement each other. Paul's words in Ephesians, chapter 5, verse 15, verses 18 through 21, parallel Paul's words in Colossians 3, verses 16 and 17. They say basically the same thing, except from different perspectives. Paul's exhortation, be filled with the Spirit in Ephesians, sounds very much like Paul's exhortation. In Colossians 3, 16 and 17, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. I mean, do you hear in those two commands how we must be filled with the Spirit and we must be filled with the word of Christ? They're basically the same exhortation from two different perspectives. And this is proven by how Being filled with the Spirit in Ephesians and being filled with the Word of Christ in Colossians produces much the same spiritual fruit. According to these letters, it produces the fruit of wisdom, addressing and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, doing everything in the name of Jesus Christ and giving thanks always to God. So how is it that we obey this command to be filled with the Spirit? The way is by responding to the Word of Christ. By making room for the influence of God's word in our lives. By giving our minds to its truth. By by giving our hearts to its teaching. By giving our wills to obedience. You see, we put ourselves under the lordship of God's spirit by putting ourselves under the lordship of God's word. We must be filled with God's spirit by being filled with God's word. And secondly, we must be filled by faith. Once again, we must remember that salvation is a gift. There's nothing of merit about it. I mean, and faith is the way we receive and continually appropriate the fullness of this gift of salvation that we have in Christ. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things, Paul writes in Romans. I mean... Don't we hear in this promise how we must walk by faith and not by sight? That's how we enjoy the Spirit's fullness. We walk by faith in all the blessings of salvation we already have in Christ. Now, I love Charles Spurgeon. And so I read to you once again a quote I've read to you before. I I love this man. He says, the man who has Christ has everything. There are all things rolled into one in Christ Jesus. And if it once you get him, you are rich to all the intents of bliss. Spurgeon says, what? Have Jesus Christ and be discontented? Have Jesus Christ and complain? Oh, beloved, let me chide you gently and pray. You lay aside that evil habit. If you have Christ, then you have God the Father to be your protector. And God the Spirit to be your comforter. You have present things working together for your good. You have future things to unravel your happier portion. You have angels to be your servants. Both on earth and in heaven, you have all the wheels of divine providence revolving for your benefit. You have your daily trials sanctified to your benefit. Your gains... And your losses, alike are profitable to you. And now will you not be glad, Spurgeon says. You see, the way we obediently receive the fullness of God's Spirit is by being filled with His Word and by walking by faith in all that God's Word says we possess now in Christ. We walk by faith and not by sight. But something more, we experience the Spirit's fullness in a growing fashion as we grow and as we mature in Christ. Think of it this way. Think of two people. And one is a baby. Newborn, weighing seven pounds, the baby has just begun to breathe. The baby is filled with air. The other is a full-grown man, he's six feet tall, he's 185 pounds. Both are healthy, both are breathing, both are filled with air. So where's the difference? The difference is in the capacity of the individuals, the capacity of their lungs. Both are filled with air, both are filled with life. But one is more filled than the other because his capacity to be filled is greater. And the same is true of the Christian life and growth. Who will deny that a newborn babe in Christ is filled with the Spirit? No one, since Paul says that all believers are the fullness of Christ. All believers are the dwelling place of the Spirit of Christ. But there's this difference between the babe in Christ and the mature adult in Christ. The difference is found in their spiritual lung capacity, namely the mature believer's greater grasp on God's Word and his greater ability to appropriate the promises of God's Word by faith. You see the difference? Child of God, we have to take God's Word and prayerfully meditate on it. I mean, meditate on how you are no longer dead in sin but raised up to new life with Christ about how you are no longer strangers to God, but His beloved children, about how you are safe in the salvation of your Savior and the love of your Father, and about how as the children of light, we must more and more put off the old ways of thinking and speaking and behaving to belong to the old life and put on the new. We must meditate on how we are destined by God to put on glory, And as we do so, we must walk by faith and we must experience the Spirit's fullness in our lives. I mean, as you think about the challenges you are facing, challenges involving your physical well-being, your spiritual well-being, your financial well-being, your vocational well-being. As you think of all these challenges, are you being continually and increasingly filled by God's Spirit as He enables you? to grow in trusting his word and his promises to you. Now I don't know about you there but there are times when I get weary in the work. And I'm sure you do too. And there are times when I get discouraged in the work. I mean the challenges are great. There's no obvious solutions to them. There just isn't a straight line between point A and point B. I get tired. I get weary at times in the work, and you do too. But at such times, what I need to remember, it's not time to sit down and just be discouraged. I need to experience a fresh feeling of the Spirit of God. I did this last night. I got on my knees. And what did I do? I went to these promises that I've hidden in my heart and I resort to over and over. Isaiah 41.10 Fear not, for I am with you. Be not afraid, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. 2 Corinthians 12, 9. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Joshua 1, 5. God will neither forsake me nor desert me. He is my God, and he says, be strong and courageous. You see... We experience the fullness of God's spirit as we resort again to his word and we ask God to continue to help us trust his promises to us. All these promises are yes and amen to us in Jesus Christ. And the fullness doesn't come as a jolt. It doesn't come as a jolt. That's the caffeine speaking. The fullness comes in this quiet way, often below the level, of the horizon of, of perception. Because God has made these promises by faith. We just go on in all of our weakness. And we experience God enabling us to make progress and grow. The fullness of the Spirit. And then the fruit of the Spirit. Brothers and sisters, let us remember that Paul told us earlier in this letter that the Holy Spirit dwells in us as a seal and as a down payment of receiving our final inheritance in glory. Our covenant-making God has hold of us. He has a hold of us with a love that will not let us go. And so one of the great distinguishing marks of the Christian is his or her confidence in the love of Christ. I mean, the indwelling Spirit enables our souls to say confidently with the apostle, Christ loved me, and he gave himself for me. And then our faith responds with the fruit of praises and the fruit of thanksgivings that God will complete the work that he's begun in us, that he has full control of the situation salvation is God's gift to be received with the grateful open hand of faith and so I say have you received it do you have this precious gift because you see true faith has nothing whatever of merit about it it's simply laying hold of the Savior's hand it's simply receiving the physician's medicine faith brings nothing to Christ But a sinful man's soul, it gives nothing, it contributes nothing, it pays nothing. It only receives, it only takes, it only accepts, it only grasps, it only embraces the free, the full salvation Christ accomplished for whosoever will receive it. Now what fruit does the Spirit's presence and fullness within produce in our hearts? Two of these right here are the fruit of giving praise. You see, the fruit of giving praise. Those filled with the Spirit, Paul says, address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with their hearts. Paul's speaking, of course, of public worship. It goes without saying, perhaps, that a person filled with the Spirit is one who wants to be in public worship and we see the praises we give by the spirit in gathered worship utilize a whole full range of singing psalms hymns and spiritual songs that much is obvious i trust but but what not be may not be so obvious to us is how in gathered worship we sing not only to god but in this in some sense to one another isn't that interesting there's some sense in which we sing to one another paul says we address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs now That doesn't mean that in gathered worship we have to stand and face one another and sing to one another. But it does show that within gathered worship there is this vertical dimension and there is this horizontal dimension. On the one hand, our praises ascend up to God by His Spirit and and on the other hand, they descend down from God into our hearts by the same Spirit. But also the praises sung by the assembly in worship strengthen me and believing that God is really great and gracious. When I sing, my singing is reinforced by all those others around me who are singing. You know, years ago, in a church in Pennsylvania, for a while, we had, as one of our elderly members, a man who had been the president of Wheaton College, and he was a godly man, World War II vet, naval officer. And one Sunday, he worshipped alone in the pew without his wife. Now, his heartfelt praises of God that morning were interspersed by tears. Tears were running down his face. And and, and many of us knew that Miriam, his wife, uh, that she was ill. Apparently, she was at home convalescing while he came to worship the Lord and he was touched by the presence of God. But it was only after the benediction that we learned that Hudson's wife, Miriam, had gone to be with the Lord about 4.30 that morning. 4.30 that morning. And he said his one thought had been, I need to be with God in the assembly of his people. Encouraged by his fellowship with God and by his fellowship with the saints. It was such a godly example to us. You know, it's an old illustration, but it's still helpful. I mean, the flaming log that rolls out of the fireplace burns dimmer and dimmer and dimmer, and it goes out. But in the fireplace, with the other logs, it burns brightly. And so as our circumstances permit, we gather in the fireplace of corporate worship to offer praises to God. And in this way, we are built up by one another's faith, and we know God's fullness And then we see the fruit of giving thanks. Giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's worth asking, I think, how can we give thanks for everything? How's that possible? I mean, we easily give thanks for all of God's apparent blessings. But are we to give thanks for murder? Murder? Are we to give thanks for abuse, for cruelty, for hate? Do we give thanks for everything in that way? It's a strange notion in some Christian circles that we must. I mean, they say that the way of freedom and victory is this kind of unconditional praise. But my friends, thanking God for things that he hates and that he explicitly condemns can border on blasphemy. I think that if we put Paul's words in their larger context of the whole Bible, we learn that we can't press his words here too literally. Rather, we must seek the help of God's Spirit to trust Him in all things. Isn't that what Paul's telling us? We have to seek His grace to trust Him in all things. We must seek God's help to thank Him in all things. Why? Because, well, we know that His loving providence can overrule even the worst things for the best possible outcomes doesn't the death and crucifixion and resurrection of our lord teach us that you know when i was young it was a different day for watches watches were different when i was young we we didn't have electronic watches we didn't have digital watches we had wrist watches with jewels and gears and mechanisms in them that advanced the hands on the face of the watch. And although I didn't have one of these watches, the ones that I really liked were the ones that I saw at times in a jeweler's store that had the transparent face or the transparent back on the watch. And it was so fascinating to look into watch and to see all the different mechanisms working in that watch in contrary ways to each other. I mean there were, there were jewels and gears turning in this direction and then there were jewels and gears turning in exactly the opposite direction. And Some of the mechanisms turned slowly, some of them turned rather fast. There was so much in the watch that seemed contrary and contradictory, and yet everything worked with this exquisite precision, and it advanced the hands of the watch with this precise timing. And, brothers and sisters, so it is in our lives under the control of God's Spirit. At times it seems that we are advancing quickly, but other times slowly, maybe even backward. Now, what is it that can defeat the plan of God for those who belong to Christ? Well, there are many things that can defeat human planning, of course. I mean, our plans can be overruled by by our sins, by our failures, as well as by the opposition of others. But God's plans for us cannot be defeated. He is sovereign over our lives. He is forever accomplishing His sovereign, wise, and good purpose for us. And so let us embrace Christ as our own and then let us give praises, let us give thanksgivings that I can advance even when I am perplexed, even when I am cast down, even when I am depleted, knowing that by God's indwelling spirit is perfect. Power is made perfect in our weakness. Let us pray. Almighty God, we thank you that you have called us into union with your Savior. I mean, We have brought nothing to you but our sinful souls. And with the empty hand of faith, you have filled us with salvation. We give praise that you have set your Holy Spirit into our lives. And the Spirit's very presence within us is a down payment. He is a guarantee that we will put on glory. Almighty Father, I would pray that you would help all of us to be filled with your Spirit, not by seeking after some sort of extraordinary experience, you're sovereign in this matter, but rather by giving ourselves to your word, by filling our minds and our hearts with your word. And I pray that you will enable us to continue to be filled as we walk by faith and not by sight. Trusting in your sovereign plan for our lives. Walking by faith in all these blessings that are ours in Jesus Christ. And Father, as we do, produce the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. When we're downcast, when we are depressed, when we are discouraged, we're not very good advertisements of what it is to know you. I realize that all of us struggle with these things from time to time, but lift our spirits and our countenances up in hope. Teach us to trust in you. Teach us to walk by faith and not by sight and not by feeling. Father, we give thanks for your promise. That your power is made perfect in our weakness. We give thanks that you say to us. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not afraid, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my right hand. Almighty Father, as we look to you with the empty hands of faith, asking you to fill them according to your grace and gift, we pray, may we know fresh, Fillings of your spirit, your spirit of influence, your spirit of power. For we ask these saints in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.